Austin, do you remember how long it took me to find a podcast platform for us? Forever. I ended up finding one called Anchor, and I initially chose it just because it was free. But it also has a creation tool that allows you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer. They also distributed for us, so that's why we ended up on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and all of our other places. And you can even make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. Everything you need to make a podcast in just one place. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Will This Be on the Test? I'm Maddie. I'm Austin. And we are a podcast where we talk about things we didn't learn in school or didn't learn fully or maybe didn't learn correctly. And... I, my brain is failing today. I am, I am just in shock. You need to start talking because I am a worthless, <laughs> worthless host. Why I, aren't you talking yet? You're just letting me vamp. I'm not good at this. So, <laughs> I thought you were going to interrupt me when I started to talk again. Um, I did, oh, crap. The rule of threes. Okay. So seriously, though, look how loud this is when we have the thing set up behind it. I know. It's like we figured out what we're doing. Actually, this took way longer to edit last time because it was so loud. Okay, so we can speak with normal voices now? We can speak with normal voices. I don't have to shout? I mean, I've been working on you learning how to shout appropriately, and this is not the time. So all those times in that theater where I yelled fire, those were not appropriate times? It's never appropriate to yell anything in a theater, as we just learned when we saw the Downton Abbey movie yesterday. <gasps> He's gay? Yep. So for the last couple of weeks... We've been watching Downton Abbey. Like, nonstop, because I hadn't seen it. Yeah, we were watching Fleabag, which didn't strike our fancy. No, it was just, it. it was girls, but with a British accent, and not quite as awful of people. So we thought for a second, we'll probably go back to it just to see, maybe skip to season two for an episode and see. Maybe. We'll see if it gets better. But we got out of it, and I said, how about we watch Downton Abbey? I've been trying to get him to watch it for years. I'd seen the first couple of seasons, yeah. and he was always, no, it looks boring and British. And I work with a bunch of old ladies, so it's like, I've heard all I need to hear about Downton and its abbeys. But for the last two solid weeks, he was immediately hooked. <laughs> that ding is to indicate that I am interrupting to let you know that there are going to be some spoilers for the Downton Abbey TV series. Not as many for the movie, but in case you have not watched those and want to, skip ahead to about mm, 5 minutes, 30 seconds, give or take, and you'll be good to go. Simple. By the way, we have uh, Downton Abbey spoilers on this, but hey, it, it ended three years ago. Matthew. Isis. <laughs> Jesus. I, I, okay, I feel like I can't be sad about Isis because it's also the name of an awful, awful terrorist organization. But it was the dog in Downton Abbey. I am at the, ruined that. At the beginning of this podcast, I'm going to have to add in a disclaimer saying skip to minute XYZ because we talk about Downton Abbey and give away so many spoilers until that point. Well, he got hooked and I'd seen the first few seasons already and I knew what was coming for a lot of it. And I would look over at him just to watch him have the complete breakdown that I had several years ago. But we went to see the Downton Abbey movie uh, <laughs> yesterday, and it was great. It actually was. I feel like the reviewers who didn't like it had never seen the show. Oh, probably not. Well, when I bought the tickets, the two of us and our friend were the only ones who had seats. And I didn't expect that to stay the same, but... We also didn't expect an entire old folks home to come to the theater. Right before it started, I'd say a group of about 40 people 
of um, older ages walked in. And they were actually some of the overall most polite audience members we've dealt with in a really yeah. long time. They actually cleaned up their trash too, which is amazing. But, <laughs> all right, so one of the primary, primary characters is gay. And that is a major plot point of the show. I mean, it's like recurring thing. It's like episodes and episodes of it. At one point, he's talking to another guy and... All of a sudden, one of the audience members figures it out and yells, he's gay? And then they kiss. This is about 15, 20 minutes later, at least. And uh-huh. they kiss. And half the audience lets out this horrified gasp. And one of them yells, that's gross. Old people. No, we can't say that because most of the people we know who are that same age are the chillest people and yeah. are cool with everybody. I don't know if they just came from a certain, you know, we don't like gay people nursing home or something. It was, it was the, oh crap, the Rick Santorum retirement home. I've been in audiences in movie theaters where people do react to things and I kind of love it for the most part, but usually it's just the ooh kind of thing. Having them shout the equivalent of slurs at the screen. <laughs> oh my goodness. Okay, I was really expecting just to hear like the symphony of, well, who's that again? Wait, who's that? Who's that? Although maybe if they'd asked but who's that, worse. maybe if they'd asked who's that, they wouldn't have had to be surprised when they found out he was gay. Mm-hmm. But overall, the movie's good. Go see it if you haven't. I enjoyed it. We've given away no movie spoilers other than the gay guy kisses somebody. It's true. There is there is a kiss. And you also see Edith in her underwear. All like 17 pounds of it. Yeah, that was another thing. Watching it in the theater, it was... There were such scandalous behaviors. I, oh my. As opposed to PBS, which you can't show 1920s very covering underwear on, I assume. Oh no, of, you, of course not. Muppets might see it. We're also wrapping up watching Kimmy Schmidt right now. <laughs> and I just can't believe Sesame Street never sued them. <laughs> Maybe they did. I feel like Tina Fey must be friends with them because she also had Muppets on 30 Rock. Yep. But she did date Con. I feel like Conan worked on Sesame Street or something for a while, too. I don't know. Conan was on The Simpsons. I don't know if he was ever on Sesame oh, Street. Oh, that might be what I'm thinking of. How could you get The Simpsons and Sesame Street mixed up? Those are like opposites. Well, it's full of vaguely humanoid things that are learning how to count. Those are children. Hum- I'm talking about Homer. I don't know what you're oh. talking about. <laughs> well, <laughs> let's get into it. Yeah. Heard, um, pre-editing, we're currently at six and a half minutes, for most of which we've talked about Downton Abbey and shocked movie theater attendees. <laughs> yeah, but don't worry. There's probably about a minute and a half of ums and likes and butts. <laughs> butts. <laughs> I've spent too much time with you. So today, I'm going to start because he started last time. I'm going to be talking about psychology that we may or may not have mislearned instead of my usual history topics or particularly the fact that I usually talk about people. Okay. So starting in high school, and I don't know about you, I had teachers teachers who would give us tests about things like learning styles and abilities. And one of the things we talked about, but we really got into it in college, was left brain versus right brain. Uh-huh. Did your teachers do that? No. No. Yeah, you were one of the smart kids. You got effort. I think I took that in my science for dummies class my mm, freshman okay. year. 
I think you were just in a different science for dummies class. I was class. in a different science for dummies class. Actually, I feel like you started at advanced science. I was. You gotta be good at math to be good at science. That's what they tell me anyway. Well, I'm just a guy, so they assumed I was good at math, so they let me in the advanced science classes. Well, when I got into college, we furthered it. I even took an entire class that was just about personality, which I actually loved that class, but we took the test in that class as part of the curriculum, and it was not studied, and that's important later, that we our results were not aggregated in any way. And I came out as one point left brain, whatever that means. I don't know what that means either. Okay, so if you put your hands up and make L's. Oh, we... it's this one. <laughs> so what we know is that our brain is divided into a left hemisphere and a right hemisphere. Mm -hmm. Most parts of the brain kind of go across to both sides. So if you look at a diagram, they'll like have those color strips. I'm like, this is this part of the brain, and they go across to both. It's divided down the little middle, and when you're looking at a diagram, you'll see a line. It represents the longitudinal fissure, is what that's called. Ooh. And the two parts are connected by a band of nerve fibers called the corpus callosum. He's looking at me. He's like, I know this stuff. I'm smart about science because I'm male. The mm -hmm. chromosome makeup I have makes me inherently know these things. It's true. So even though major parts of the brain goes go across both sides we do know that the different hemispheres have portions that control certain functions so that part of left and right brain is reasonably accurate when you're doing certain tasks one side of your brain will have different parts light up and some of them for lack of a better phrase in my understanding light up more brightly or more strongly than things on the other side the general understanding is that the left side of the brain deals with language math and logic the right side deals with spatial ability, facial recognition, visual imagery, and music. Or to put it into the simpler terms that they told us in school, remember we simplify, simplify, simplify. Yeah. People who are right-brained are supposed to be creative. People who are left-brained are supposed to be logical. Yes, I've heard that. People who are right-brained are also supposed to be left-handed. People who are left-brained are supposed to be right-handed. So that's why that when we look at people who are lefties, we're like, oh, you must be creative. What kind of artist are you? And then they're like, I'm an accountant. Yeah. And we stare at them blankly because when we look, what we learned in school is that you can't be good at math if you are right-brained. Well, anyway, I was listening to NPR about a week ago, and they were talking about people who are experts in things that are common knowledge as it's taught to the general public whether it's taught in schools or it's taught colloquially. And it turns out, among other things, they're talking about a book called This Idea Must Die, which I obviously put on hold at the library. Yay! And Austin gets to pick it up for me probably tomorrow because they had it in stock at your library. Oh, cool. So I, I have a chore. Thank you. Leave my Scrubs DVD there, though. <gasps> Leave the gun. Take the cannoli. Okay, though, how is a, this book cannoli compared to Scrubs? It's true, I guess Scrubs is the cannoli because it is the sweet dessert. And this book is the gun because it's killing things. Ideas. <laughs> That's good. That's good. Metaphors. So they had a lot of clips from different experts, not just on this topic. They had one who talked about how we should stop using mice for cancer treatment research. They had one who said we need to stop using statistics as a way to limit the things we study or the ideas we have. But this one really stuck out to me because for some reason, I remember so clearly sitting in that psych class, taking that left brain, right brain test and getting one point left brain and wondering, what does this point system mean? 
How do they quantify your creativity versus your logic? Am I this one point just because I'm right-handed? More importantly, can you really test creativity in a standardized test like that? So the person who was being interviewed also said something that really stuck out to me, that the idea of left brain versus right brain is limiting people's ability to learn. Now, if we think about the fact that this has stuck out to me for nearly half my life now, that I am one point left brained, this comes down to the idea that they are being told they are something. And when you are told you are something, especially when science is supposed to back it up, you believe it. This happens with a lot of definitions of learning disabilities or mental illnesses. They say that people who have a certain disability are something and mental or more accurately are usually not something. You are not able to do this. You are not able to read well, things like that. Yep. And we know for a fact that's not true. We know that people with learning disabilities aren't all the same. If you have the same diagnosis as somebody else, you aren't going to show the same symptoms, whether that's a learning disability, a mental illness, or something else. But we tell people they are these things, and they self-limit. Yeah. So she was talking about how students tend to say, well, I'm left-brained, so I'm just not going to be good at this. I'm right-brained, so I'm just not going to be good at this. But that's so stupid. It is really stupid. But I'm also an adult, and I'm allowed to think things like that are stupid. Now, the thing is, unlike learning disabilities, mental illnesses, which when they are handled by professionals who actually know how to structure these things, who actually look at them as this is something that we can work with instead of something we're working against, yeah. this is hardly ever handled by a professional. I've never seen a psychiatrist or a school psych or whoever sit down with a student and go, you're right-brained. <gasps> I'm, I'm right-brained? Does that mean I can never be a lawyer, doctor? <laughs> so that's the thing is these aren't, these are being handled by teachers who don't necessarily have the psychological training to give the actual reasoning behind it and tell kids what it means. And that includes myself. I've talked about right brain versus left brain with students I've had because I didn't know better. And it's kind of the same thing with learning styles, which I'll also get into in a little bit, but teachers are taught something and then they teach it and it's really hard to kind of get out of. Yeah. But because they're not being taught people who are saying, just because you're left or right brain doesn't mean that you're not also the other, which is different from multiple intelligences where it's made very clear that if you are a musical learner, that's just something that's slightly more dominant. I'll get into that more in a second. Wait, so I you're saying, face. I wonder if you could only learn things musically. That would Is that what high school musical really was? With these kids who could only learn musically? Yes. Okay, good. And also, it's this is not just limited to schools. You'll see this in corporate America and just everywhere some training development person will have half of an idea they got from a journal and they'll start using it with staff or employees or whatever and clients. It's like, oh, this is how everybody is when it's really just a good diagnostic tool for professionals. Yeah, and even this is a questionable diagnostic tool for professionals to oh. begin with. I actually cut out the part where I talk a little about multiple intelligences, but since I brought it up, I probably should finish my thought on it. Multiple intelligences are another highly contested thing that's used in education right now um, and has been for a very long time. It's the it's often misnamed as learning styles. It's yes. musical intelligence, linguistic intelligence, uh, spatial intelligence, and there are nine of them. Yeah. And I took that same test when I was a kid uh, in school, but it was framed with because you are this kind of learner, 
you learn best in this circumstance. You should use this when you're studying for tests. However, it does not mean that you can't do these other things. Everybody has all the intelligences. I'm a musical learner, which is important to know because I am right-handed and left-brained. Whoa. But I was always told you might just learn best when you're putting things to music in some way. Not You cannot ever do math because you don't have that kind of intelligence. So what, you're t what I'm learning from this is if I want you to remember something, I need to sing it to you. Actually, it does help. Our house just got way more musical kids. Actually, we both make up songs about what we're doing. It's like Marshall from How I Met Your Mother. I sing so many songs to the cats. Have you ever taken one of those tests? I bet you're a musical I, learner, too. I bet I have. I mean... I'll make you take one later. Okay, cool. Ooh, that would be like a great little afterwards to this. We can like splice it in. It's like, I am a whatever. Actually, that might be good later if we actually just do the left brain, right brain test mm -hmm. and then hook it onto the end of all of this. And I've got a test for you when we take after mine that we can both do. Oh, no. About debunked learning stuff. It'll be great. Oh, no. Oh, yes. <laughs> left brain, right brain... It seems to be slightly less contested loudly than multiple intelligences. I love multiple intelligences in no small part because my master's thesis largely focused on them. I can see how they can be contested, but I think the way that they are presented tends to be a little bit better uh, and it's less hard and fast. Anyway, I think I even lost the original point I was trying to make. Yeah. All right. So, oh, I found the point I was trying to make. It actually was in here. <laughs> But it was the point I was making. Everyone has all the intelligences. Yep. None actually have to do with how smart you are. And everybody, uh, since everybody has all of them, you can ultimately learn to do everything. It also influences how teachers teach. It doesn't mean you should give the, uh, the whole class the test. Be like, okay, I've got 90% this kind of learner, so I need to do this. It's, I need to make sure I have different types of things in here so that people who learn best through reading and people who learn the best through pictures will both benefit. Left brain versus right brain, on the other hand, is very one or the other. You are either left brained and therefore logical, or you are right brained and therefore creative, because how can you possibly be whole brained? Oh, no, you can't be logical and creative. And there does seem to be something to some of this. When I taught language arts, remember, right brain is left hand, left brain is right hand. Mm -hmm. My students' handedness lined up with statistical norms. 70 to 90% of my students were right handed. But when I taught theater, the more advanced my classes were, the higher my number of left-handed kids was. So there, there does seem to be something there. And if you watch TV or movies, you'll notice a lot of people are left-handed. If you watch artists or authors be interviewed, you'll notice them gesturing and using their left hand. So people, I understand. I do. There does seem to be something to it. But in my theater classes... The righties, the lefties were still not the majority. The right-handed kids were still by far the majority of my learners. And that includes me. I am debilitatingly right-handed. Yes. Uh, my left hand, it might as well be like your appendix. <laughs> if I'm that debilitatingly right-handed, I shouldn't be good at creative stuff because it means I should have just a really strong left brain tendency. And because my left hand can't do the things my right hand can't do, I can't play an instrument. But that doesn't mean I don't understand music. It just means I physically cannot make my left hand hit the strings the way that my right hand could. Yeah. And in fact, like I mentioned, I was a music, I'm considered a musical learner if you buy into multiple intelligences. And that includes making up my own music just in my head. I can't make it go anywhere. 
I don't know how, I don't know how to write music. That's why I can't do it. I never got the skill. It's not because I don't have the ability, which is supposed to be an entirely right-brained ability. So I'm going to talk about what Britannica Online said. Ooh. I refer to them a lot. They're an encyclopedia. We use them as a kid. I have never found a resource that is as judgmental as Britannica Online. No. And it's it's supposed to be an unbiased... It's like Aaron's imagining like Carson from Downton Abbey, because we're already back to that. Like just saying everything in his like judgmental Carson voice. I recommend it actually with some of the things I'm going to say. Okay, good. That's, try and do a Carson voice for me. No. Um, I can't do it. I don't have the amazing nose and eyebrows. I think they're required to sound like that. It's. I don't think we don't know anyone who's who is bass enough to be Carson. That's very true as well. And he means bass like the voice, not like the adjective that could be. Oh, oh no! I would never imply anything about Mr. Carson being a bass man. Britannica Online points out that logic and creative in this type of study are very limited in their definitions. You're giving me the weirdest look right now. Sorry. I'm trying to imagine Carson's voice. <laughs> the current definitions basically boil down to if you are right-brained, then you are an over-emotional artist. And if you are left-brained, then you are the unemotional nerd. And that there is no in-between. You are one or the other. Yeah, it's, I mean, if high school taught us anything, it's either you're a jock or a nerd. What side of the brain is the jock? That is that is a question, isn't it? Um, if, we're, if we're breaking things down... <laughs> what side of the brain is football? <laughs> is it the bruised side? <laughs> I broke you. <laughs> no, but that goes back into these being really limiting definitions because there are people who won't identify as either unemotional and studious or over-emotional and artistic. We do have our other groups, and if we're sticking with high school-style stereotypes, that's a good example. In terms of realistic human beings, that's a terrible example, and you can be ashamed of yourself. Some of my best actors were also football players. Yeah. Like, there is so much crossover, and that goes back to the question of these being so limiting. How can you just be one or the other? So let's talk about what we might have learned wrong. Think about math for a second and the theories in math. And if you think about those movies about mathematicians, and that's what Goodwill Hunting was. I blocked most of that out. It's okay. Um, Rob Williams has a great speech while he's on a bench, and the rest of it can be ignored. Well, no, I'm talking about like he writes on the board. And it's Is it science or math he's doing? It's math. Yeah, but he would not have been able to be the first one to solve that equation or whatever it was. If he had not been able to visualize and create the solution, which is an inherently creative and right-bearing process according to these definitions. You are a musician. Did you ever try to write music for your classes? Yes. Is that something that just flows out of you magically, or do you have to look at the logic and oh. math of the music notes? Oh, no. That, that was just a, like, well, maybe I'll try this note. Okay, that's this note. Okay, I'll write it down. Then I'm going to start playing it. Oh, no, that's not good. I'm going to have to start all over again. I was awful at composing. All right, well, let's talk about people who are good at it. <laughs> yeah. It's, it, music and math are the same thing, from what I understand. Very similar. Like, lots of the same, like, principles and concepts. And when you're composing, you have to be able to understand how they fit together to get the yeah. mathematical kind of solution you're looking for. Or if you are an artist, you have to understand ratios. You have to understand, not just when you're mixing your paints, but when you're also looking at your canvas and saying, I want 
20% of this to be this image. And like just perspective and proportion. That's a lot of math that you yeah. are just doing on the fly in your head. So most of the studies on this topic were done on people in the 1940s who had their corpus callosum separated in order to treat their epilepsy. Yeah, they don't do this anymore. Medicaid, well, they do. They do. It's just not as common. It's not as common. It's basically the last resort when medications don't work. We have a lot of things like that. It was one of those things that's, it worked. It didn't necessarily cure them, but it made it so their lives were easier. And I actually remember, I'm getting oh, getting back to my old notes from the last page because I realized I put things out of order. This procedure is supposed to lower their number of seizures. And I remember seeing a human interest story about this as a kid because apparently they were doing it to someone when I was, I was probably eight or nine and the kid was a young teenager. Mm -hmm. He planned on having a surgery, and he was advised to learn to write with the opposite hand from his dominant one because the surgery might mess that up, which, of course, inspired me to try to learn to write with my right, left hand. It did not work. But those are the stories that stick out to me. Like, I yeah. also really remember the story of the teacher who had Tourette's and would bark during class. And I also remember the story of that girl who actually only has half of a brain, mm -hmm. and she's just, like, almost completely functionally normal now. That's important. Oh, is it going to come up? No, that specifically doesn't, but that's an important thing to think about. Yeah. She didn't stop being able to exist. She wasn't only, I don't know if it was her left or her right side, but she remember. didn't speak in clipped sentences. She didn't only sing or paint. She did everything. <laughs> yes. Oh um, my God. Just, I'm, I'm imagining someone, so the most artistic person ever, just like an Andy Warhol type, only, only has the right half of their brain. I communicate only through prints of soup cans. But it also makes you think of, okay, so we hang out with a lot of artists. But think about the artists that we know who are, and think about how much they have to be able to use language and logic and reasoning. Mm -hmm. For me, it was a lot of defending my choices in my programs, and you saw the diagrams and stuff I would draw for my shows. Yeah. And then you see the things that people write in order to get what they need for their art or to complete their art. And you can clearly see it's not just using one side of their oh, brain, no. not using one side of their abilities. The people who had their corpus callosum Colosums, colosiae, I didn't ever actually see the plural of it. They generally had normal functioning afterwards with maybe some mild impairments. They continued to be able to live their normal lives. As they continued to study them, they found out that one side of the brain was generally better at spatial things and the other side was generally better at language and problem solving. These are facts. One side of your brain is better at something than the other. The folks... Uh, I've already said that they continue to have the same abilities. This is what happens when I don't proofread. <laughs> I You're, You do this professionally. I do do this professionally. But at the same time, because I did just start doing this professionally, I have been putting off our research. Guys, it's actually the day before I'm yep. supposed to have this up. I'm supposed to have this up at midnight, not tonight, but tomorrow night. I'm holding up a copy of today's USA Today so I can prove that this is actually the day before we go live. You can see us, right? It's great on this audio medium. Let me just shuffle some papers. <laughs> so we'll see if I get this up in time. I'm new to editing this, and I'm new to my jobs. And I'm we usually record at least two weeks in advance, and now we're recording 36 hours in advance. So yep. not even. Anyway, they have the same basic abilities they had before the surgery. Neither side of their brain completely took over, meaning that their brain was actually, neither side of their brain was actually in charge to begin with. <laughs> and both sides ultimately found ways to continue communicating after they were separated. I don't really understand how that works. I didn't 
go into that part of it because this research already took forever and I kept yelling at Austin, this goes in so many directions. But their brains were able to continue communicating. And this also led me to the questions about those two girls that are uh, conjoined at their brain. Yeah. They can see out of each other's eyes and they can communicate, for lack of a better word, telepathically. But they're really young. They're like three or four, so we don't know the extent of it yet. And I'm really curious to see how this works. And also, you know, if we're going to say one side of your brain is dominant, is one of their brains dominant? Ooh. I kind of doubt it. Dude, that would be a great sci-fi movie. But we do know for a fact that they can see out of each other's eyes and they can feel stimuli on the other person's body. That is really weird. It's so cool. I gotta look up. I gotta look this up. All right. So one of the interviewees on NPR said that the continued views of this idea are entirely based on gross misreadings of this 1940s set of these 1940s studies. It wasn't necessarily. I actually the link to the actual study was broken, and like I said, I didn't have time to dig in for it. But based on the things I read about it, it didn't sound like even they were arguing this. It just sounds like it's a misreading of what they were presenting. There haven't actually been any real studies that were done that provided proof on left brain versus right brain. One of the foremost experts on this topic, Ian McGilchrist, says that when he started out, and he started out later in life, he's actually a overall, depends on things, newer to psychology and psychiatry. He was told to not go anywhere near this. It was too popular. It was too general knowledge, too well known. Well, he did it anyway, because that's what you do when you really want to know something. It's kind of hard to say which side of the argument he fully falls on. He does have a book called Master and Emissary, or The Master and the Emissary. I didn't read the book because it's long and I don't own it. Maybe he makes his point more clear than his side clearer on there. But he does say that the sweeping generalizations are definitely not correct. He also argues that pretty strongly that the sides of the brains do do different things and that one is dominant and he says it's usually the left side. He also says that that's based on an evolutionary need. We have two different sides of the brain that do two different things. And actually, this is common in most other species as well. Because one side allows you to focus on your task, while the other side allows you to take in the world around you. It keeps you safe. If you are focusing on making the tool you're making, you also need to be aware of the noises around you to see if there's someone who might need you to use the tool and stab them in the face. Yep. So that's what he comes from, is that's why we have two. And he also says that the left side of the brain seems to generally be more dominant because it has been more necessary. That's the side that does let us communicate, that does let us build things, that lets us focus on the minutiae. Again, like I said, it's hard to say what side of the argument he comes down okay. on, but he actually doesn't reference personality a whole lot in his arguments. He also argues that the left side of the brain has been becoming increasingly dominant because society expects it to. Oh. He's talking about how we are expecting students to learn science and math and logic and reasoning and get rid of that creative stuff. And he's saying that's bad because that's not how you ultimately solve problems. You have to be able to use both sides. So the left side forms the specifics, the right forms the ideas. However, any action, for any action, there are parts of the opposite hemisphere that also light up during it. So you have the left side of your brain forming the grammatical structure for what you're about to say. It doesn't mean things come out perfectly every time, but it's what makes you know what order to put the words in. You don't have to go to school to even learn the order your words go in. The right side of the brain kind of forms the idea of what you're about to say. The left side of your brain makes the words come out more or less the way they're supposed to. But we also see that when you're making those words come out, 
stuff on the right side of the brain starts to light up. We also know that when words come out in speech, the left side of your brain lights up a little bit more, but when, the right, when you sing, the right side has a part that really lights up, even though it is the same basic function. Your brain, your mouth is forming words in a certain order, but the right side of your brain has a part that's going, I'm in control of this. So we already kind of discussed about how we mislearn things potentially. The question is why? I mentioned this a little bit at the beginning, how teachers are taught something they teach it to us, right? Yeah, why? They think it's because we as humans are always looking to find out why we are the way we are. And these studies seem to do that for us. It puts us into easily quantifiable categories that let us figure out who we are as humans and explain the behaviors that we engage in. I don't even have that written down. That's just me talking with my left brain. <laughs> Tests like this. So the thing I read, it referenced this. It referenced the INTJ, ENFJ. Uh, Myers-Briggs personality types. Thank you. And it referenced horoscopes. Now, if you think about it, you wouldn't normally put these things in the same category because these are scientifically studied and horoscopes, for all intents and purposes, are not. But they put them in the same category. This is where Britannica gets super, super judgy. I am ready for some judgmental Um, encyclopedias. So they do lay out the facts, but the way they do it is amazing. This is called either the Barnum effect or the Forer effect. This is a quote from Britannica. When people are offered generic descriptive statements that are presented as individualized descriptions of their own personalities, they are predisposed to accept them as meaningful and true, especially if the statements are positive. The psychologists who studied this phenomenon gave out fake personality tests and found that people generally rated the bogus feedback as accurate. The right brain, left brain myths in a similar way. The insights, and they actually put insights in quotation marks, that it generates are both generic and flattering. They were super judgy. They were the ones going like, well, we all know the people who talk about horoscopes are stupid. Now, I love my horoscope. I actually am probably one of the people who can fall victim to the Barnum effect pretty easily. Austin's really not for the most part. Oh, I I get so annoyed at work when it's like, well, these are your five strengths. And I came up and my biggest strength was empathy. And that's bullshit. I'm sorry, what Hogwarts house are you in? Hufflepuff. And let's be honest, how strongly do you relate to being a Hufflepuff? I am very much. Oh, no. You found my Barnum effect. It's my Hufflepuffness. I'm a Slytherin. And that's the thing, too, is that's the Hufflepuff, Slytherin, Gryffindor, Ravenclaw are based on, are very closely linked to four basic personality types. I can't remember which kind of oh, study it's, that is. Do you um, remember? Uh, it's, I don't remember the study, but it's the director, socializer, mm-hmm. uh, thinker, and relater. And what I think is funny about you is you heard that and you were like, that's nonsense. But Hogwarts houses, you're like, I relate to my house. I have all this Hufflepuff stuff. Well, it's like, I, they put me in socializer. And I am the only socializer in the library because it's all full of bookworms and they're all Ravenclaws. Austin will, like talk to people and I try to avoid it. I go out of my way to talk to people. It's really annoying. I made eye contact once and now I have a friend and it's awful. <laughs> the Barnum effect, yes, refers to P.T. Barnum. The circus <laughs> guy. Yes. Who is also somebody I'd like to do a piece on sometime. P.T. Barnum possibly is the person who said there's a sucker born every minute. Possibly. <laughs> So this, the belief in things like left brain, right brain, and Myers-Briggs and horoscopes are lumped together into the idea that there's a sucker born every minute. According to Britannica, who did not present it in a logical, factual way, they presented it in a very right brain, emotional fashion. 
how dare these people group us in ways I, unapproved by the Queen. I don't think I have ever seen a Wikipedia article get more emotional than this Britannica article did. Oh, you haven't read some of the recent uh, Kanye West uh, uh, edits. They're fierce. Although the Wikipedia article for John Raffio, who is one of the loves of my life, does lift, list his mother as Steve Harrington. <laughs> hey, he made his money the old-fashioned way. I got run over by Alexis. It wasn't until I heard this NPR piece that I really even thought about left brain versus right yeah. brain being inaccurate. No, she like stormed in the door after teaching a class and was like... Austin, I heard an NPR, and they want to kill ideas, and left brain, right brain is one of them. And then she kind of went into a like a researchy fugue state. It was weird. Oh, it was so interesting. I can't wait to get this idea of must die, because they talked about a couple of other things, like multiverse theory, which I 100% believe in. I mean, you have to believe in multiverse theory for anything in string theory or the Higgs boson stuff to work. But there's a universe in which I do not believe in multiverse theory. Yeah. There's also, uh, according to what I there's a universe where there's some type of planets made of chocolate and we are the kings. But then it melts and we drown. <laughs> Such is life. So I never thought about this potentially being a fake idea because I was taught it in school. And then I was taught it again in college in psychology courses. So I, I don't believe for a moment that the people who believe this are suckers, and I don't mean that in a Barnum effect way where that's negative about me so I don't believe it. If it's being taught by people who are educated in this exact field, I don't think it could possibly mean that the people who overall believe it are suckers. I think it means that they were taught something based on erroneous knowledge, or hell, it could be true and I could be talking nonsense this whole time. You said yourself, there has not been a very definitive study of this outside of one done in the 1940s before they had MRIs and CAT scans. And the 1940s study didn't even seem to argue for this. It's just no. a misreading that was done to explain it probably to non-scientists. Yep. And then, like many other things, like Myers-Briggs, the, the public was like, this is amazing, I need, to, I need this. So like I mentioned, we took this and other similar quizzes in psychology classes in college. That includes Myers-Briggs. But it's important to note that this was not analyzed. We were not, we did not turn in our results. They were not studied by our professor, which means they were not used as the bogus studies to see if we aligned ourselves with something and agreed with it. They were given to us as fact. They were given to us as this is something that is accurate. Here's how to find out how you fit into it. So that means that we're being taught this by doctors. And so, and I don't, I wouldn't call most of them idiots either, not the, no. not the professors that I dealt with. In fact, the class where I was taught this is why I almost became a psych minor. The only reason I didn't was because of a different professor who said that teenage girls get pregnant on purpose to trap their man. I got up and walked out of class because I was like, I'm not, I don't play that game. And wow. then I saw that it was past the ad drop period, so I had to finish it. Ugh. But I stopped being a psych major because I was like, if this is the kind of person who's going to be teaching me at any point, I don't want to be this. Maybe that should have made me question what was being taught, but it didn't because I really liked and respected, and as far as I know, to this day, still like and respect the other teacher who taught the left brain, right brain thing. All right. So here's the basic takeaway. This is a general knowledge thing that has become such a part of the general psyche that it's kind of left the field it started in. And that happens to a lot of things. A lot of things that people are taught in some generic way or some off-the-cuff way in some cases becomes the thing they live their lives by. 
Science and psychology don't really buy into this anymore. When you do a Google search for this, it turns out to be a lot of either fake sites posing as psychology sites or those quizzing kind of sites that are really fun and I love them. But you have to take them with a grain of salt and you should know that going in anyway. Yep. And then there are some that argue that buying into it and teaching it into, in schools as an absolute fact or indicator of ability is limiting the learners, which I could say probably goes into the professional world as well, especially if they collect your results and say, okay, these are our left brain, these are our right brain people, so we're going to assign them to these tasks. That could be really harmful to both the employees and the company, I'd imagine. At the same time, like horoscopes, the belief alone is probably not hurting anyone. And I'm actually not sitting here saying that there is no left brain versus right brain. I'm saying that we are probably taught it in a very limited way, in a way that didn't give us the full picture, and in a way that is probably the same way that they were taught it and was the same way the textbooks told them to. So just like any belief, it just if it doesn't control your life, you're probably fine. I can sit here all day and be like, I'm a Pisces, so this is what my day is supposed to be. But as long as I don't tailor my day to that... It's fine. So what you're, I'm hearing is just because I'm a Hufflepuff, it doesn't mean I need to be nice to people and be a hard worker. I can just slack off every once in a while. No. Okay. I will continue to do a, be a hard worker and do a good job. I love you. <laughs> How else is our yard going to get all the weeds out of it? I'm sorry. I'm sorry, ma'am. <laughs> all right. So that is left brain versus right brain, the myth and the fact and how they all kind of smoosh together. Are you ready for your questions? I'm ready for my questions. Would you like to explain what these questions are? Yes. Usually what we'll do is we will have some questions that aren't necessarily like questions like, Would we, I want to answer this now. It's like, these are questions about like, are we like, not is this, not are we have to do that. These are questions. These are questions. That are, will this show up on a test? Not what is the answer to this question? So will this be on the test? The left side of your brain is supposed to control the right side and vice versa. Yes. The fact that this has been questioned for many years, the entire concept of left brain versus right brain personality. No. Both sides of your brain communicate with each other. Yes, that'll be on the test. The Barnum effect is an actual psychological term based on the idea that a sucker is born every minute. It depends on the teacher, but I've had teachers that definitely would have had that on the test, but as a general rule, no, that will not be on the test. So that is left brain versus right brain. You are very passionate about that. Well, I'm glad you got into this because I also have some barn effect in mind. Ooh. Oh, yeah. Also, I realized it's something that happened earlier. Remember how awful we felt about what we'd done with our lives after we learned like Christy Teigen was our age? Chrissy. Chrissy Teigen. Yes. Guess what? Uh -huh. I'm doing Mozart. Oh, he, I'm probably doing a spoiler right now, but he wasn't much older than us when he died, was he? Oh, he was 35. Oh, so we've got... Less than two good years left to accomplish all the things that he accomplished in those Yes, we've got less than two years. He's a really weird historic figure because he was like, he was this like, you know, musical genius hero of Germany, even though he was Austrian, for centuries. Then in the 80s, a movie came out that made him look like a prancing idiot. I've seen it several times. It won the Best Picture Oscar it the year the, I was born. Which also had some facts about him that lots of people had forgotten. And so he's, like, at the same time, both a hero and an idiot. And he's actually, like, smack dab between the two. And it's kind of hilarious how we've gotten to both extremes on Mozart. And also, we're talking about the bottom effect. We're going to go into the Mozart effect a little bit. I've heard of that, but I don't know what it is. Oh, we'll, we'll talk about it. All right. So here's another confession. I've never actually seen Amadeus. I've actually asked you that a few times if you'd want to see it. 
I do, but it's just like, we can't get it at the library and I don't want to pay money for you it. You can't get it at the library? The li we didn't have a copy for a while. We might have one now. Okay. We'll look this up afterwards. What? I'm sorry, what do you... You can get them. I work in interlibrary loan, so my entire job would be to get me Mozart or Amadeus. When he starts talking, I'm going to see if it's available. So, Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart, or are you ready for his full name that he was baptized with? Because this is a mouthful. His full name was Johannes Chrysostomostus Wolfgangus Theophilus Mozart. Same. Long ass name. That's what you're christened as? Actually, the religion I was raised in made us choose an additional name when we turned 13 or 14, so I actually have a very long name. Okay. It's not, like, a legal name. Yeah. So, uh, you don't have it at the library. Told you. Don't doubt me. He was born on January 27, 1756, in Salzburg, Austria, or I guess what at the time was the Holy Roman Emperor Empire. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Or part of the Austro-Hungarian Empire. It's... Oh, come on. I, like, I'm sitting here going, I don't know history. I'll just believe what he says. You yeah. could, like, he could feed me pretty much anything. I'd be like, okay. So he was, okay, I'm going to go through his life pretty quick because there's like all of these weird misconceptions to go through. Okay. He was the youngest of seven children. Five of his siblings did die in infancy. He did have one older sister. Her name was Maria Anna. She was known as Naneri. She was also a musical prodigy. He actually was composing his first pieces and became interested in it while his father, Leopold Mozart, was a music teacher and a composer and a musician. He was teaching the Neri the uh, piano, and he was interested. And he was actually composing stuff as young as he was five. This uh, claim is supported by his sister and father. We don't have a lot of evidence that he was composing stuff at that young of an age, but we do know that he was composing musical pieces at eight, and those still exist today. While he was still, like, five, he went on a European tour with his father and sister as part of this, like, these, look at these two prodigy children perform. He was also a little scamp who sat on Marie Antoinette, yes, that Marie Antoinette's lap, and asked her to marry him when he was but a wee little boy. That's actually kind of cute. It's adorable. So they were the Jacksons of, like, you know, of the 1750s. Fun fact, because this was olden times and they're traveling all over Europe, all of them almost died, and they were on tour for 11 years. That, I can, I can see based on what I know about Mozart later on, how that could make you kind of regress into a permanent childhood state. And yeah. Michael Jackson, for Michael that matter. Jackson. Yeah, well, the thing is, though, he wasn't in a permanent childhood state. It was, we'll get into it, we'll get into it. While Mozart was still a child, and he was in Italy, they went to the Vatican and they heard a piece of music played. It was Giorgio Alighieri's Misere. Uh, this was a closely guarded piece of music that only the Vatican knew, and they would not let it be performed anywhere else. Mozart heard it twice, and made a copy of it and was able to perform it. And this is the first recorded case of musical piracy. Take that, Napster. Sure, would you steal a car? Well, would you steal some music from the Vatican? Because Nicolas Cage would. National Treasure 3, Vatican Music Heist. I actually was going to ask you yesterday, have I ever seen National Treasure? Did we watch that together? We, we watched the first one. We haven't watched the second one. I'm saving that for our 10th anniversary. That's a surprise. Damn, I've ruined it. Okay, Don't so tell me anybody. He was employed by the Salzburg court for a while, where he was paid 150 florins a year, which is about $15,000-ish now, according to a New York Times article on him. That's That seems low. That's pretty low. He wasn't played very well, but he was also, he was a composer, and he was not part of, like, the royal court. He was just... But was he, like, provided housing and stuff? Yeah. Okay. After a while, the, the theater that he was doing his shows at was shut down. He didn't really have an opportunity to do operas anymore. So he resigned in 1777 and uh, went to Paris and bummed around for a bit. Wrote some operas, did some music, wasn't a huge success. 
Then in 1781, he uh, went to Vienna after he had some successful operas in Munich. So he was starting to become famous. He got a job with an archbishop composing music for him. He was a big patron. He didn't really get along well with his employer at this time. They got in big fights, but he mostly used this as a way to meet Emperor Joseph II, the emperor of the Austro-Hungarian Empire, who, by the way, is best known for being the patron of Mozart. So that was that's his legacy. <laughs> he became well-known in all of German-speaking Europe. He was the finest keyboard player in Vienna. <laughs> Sorry, my head went to keytar for some reason. <laughs> He, he, was, he invented the guitar. I was going to get to that. <laughs> so he um, got married in 1782. He had six kids. Two of them survived infancy. He became familiar with the music of Bach and Handel. He actually met Joseph Haydn. They would actually perform together, and they were buddies. And Haydn actually proclaimed to Mozart's father that, I tell you, before God and as an honest man, your son is the greatest composer known to me by person and repute. And then he asked his dad for money. Your son is amazing. I also need to borrow my rent money this month. Money, please. So Mozart was a big fucking deal. Also, this time, he not only was composing, he was performing solo, and he would perform in any room that would take him and that was large enough for an audience. And he was making bank. He started living the good life at this time, but he was also still living beyond his means, which he was making a lot of money, but he also was spending it like a drunken sailor. And, which is hilarious because he stopped focusing on opera as much at this time. But then he came back to opera with a, with some fury and verve and vigor. This is when he wrote uh, The Marriage of Figaro, which you may know from that Bugs Bunny cartoon, where um, Bugs drives an opera singer to suicide. It's so good. Mm -hmm. And it's not allowed to be played or wasn't allowed to be played for a long time or maybe not on certain channels or something. Yep. Because it is so disturbing. I'm like, I'm sorry, have you seen any other Bugs Bunny cartoon? Yeah. Also, The Marriage of Figaro, the end of it, is at the end of What's Opera, Doc? Which is how, like, most of... Oh, that's, that's the one I'm thinking of. Are these two oh, different things? Two different things. Okay, that's the one I'm thinking yeah. of. That's the one that's not allowed to be played for some reason. Weird, because that one's awesome. It's... I mean, I'm not a big Bugs fan. I, I was always more of a Marvin the Martian from that universe. But, God, that is just art. It is. It was very good. The reason they were called Looney Tunes is because they had access to the Warner Brothers catalog of music, and they were using cartoons as a way to promote the music catalog. Yay! Facts! Yeah. Oh, he also wrote Don Giovanni at this time, who is not just the, like, you know, Earth gym leader from Pokemon. Who? G Giovanni. He, uh, he is the gym leader of the, of the Earth-type gym. He was also the leader of Team Rocket. Also, at this time, Beethoven was hanging out in Vienna to study Mozart, we don't know if Beethoven and Mozart ever actually met, though. It's likely they did, but we don't have any proof of it. Beethoven was the one who was deaf, right? That was Beethoven. Bach was, with, I'm thinking of no. Bach. Beethoven did go deaf eventually, before his death. But I mean, you he could still hear pretty well, like for most of his life. See, and that's another thing I mislearned. I think. I think yeah. I learned that he was deaf the whole time. Oh no, he went deaf because of uh, lead pipes. I'd imagine it was because of all the loud music. He just turned it down. Those damn kids and their clavicles. Okay, unfortunately, then the Austro-Turkish War started. Austro-Turkish War. It cut a lot of arts funding. So Mozart, who was already living a bit beyond his means, suddenly had lost a lot of his courtly support because there was a war going on. Then he wrote Cosi San Tutti. Cosi Fan Tutti. Cosi Fan Tutti. I think Tutti. Cosi Tutti. Tutti. At this time. And then he went Is to... that why you asked me about it? Yeah. 
I worked on that show once. Um, I was in the costumes department. He did die on December 5th, 1791 at the age of 35. And after his death, his music got a big bump. Uh, we're not entirely sure of what he, what he died of. It's most likely he just got sick from something. Like uh, <laughs> He died because he got sick because of a reason. <laughs> yeah, it's um, trichinosis is one of the big things, they think. So he had some bad pork and it killed him, which, you know, this was 1791. I mean, people died of being sick a lot. Unlike today, where nobody ever gets sick. Nope. They didn't have vaccines back then, so lots of people died. So uh, you get to get your flu shot tomorrow. I do get my flu shot tomorrow. Mine's on Friday. Now that we've gone through like the whirlwind tour of Mozart's life, let's get into some of the nitty gritty details. Like, let's talk about the movie Amadeus. Okay, actually, I have a, I have a fun fact for you though. Okay. Before you start, okay, does it say you might have read this that Amadeus was based on a play of the same title? Yes. It was written by Peter Schaefer, who also wrote Equus. Oh. So he's the reason that we've seen Daniel Radcliffe's penis? I mean, I haven't seen it. When have you seen it? When have you not seen it? So Amadeus, you know, talked about how, how Mozart was like a big hero and like this genius, you know, all of this stuff. Then this movie comes out and he was just this idiot prancing around. Well, first of all, let's talk about Mozart actually did write about poop a lot. This is, I mean, it, this is, according to some articles, just a German thing. He's the musical Pliny the Elder. Yeah. Now, he's wrote about eunuch pee. This is poop. This is a whole different orifice. I, I am sure Pliny talked about poop. We'll have I to ask I bet he him. did. He wrote about poop a lot. In, like, his correspondence, making fun of people. He talked a lot about eating shit, taking shits on people. And I'm going to read to you a lyrics from a song he wrote that um, uh, his publisher was like, no, 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 we can't do this. We have to change this. Even though some people say, oh, it was just like colloquial for kiss my ass. This um, song is Lek Mik Im Ars, which literally translates to Lick Me in the Ass. <laughs> By we Mozart. Teach, we teach about this guy in elementary school. Oh, we do. We do. So ready for the, ready for the translation of these lyrics? Yeah. Uh, this is a cantata in six parts. Uh, lick my ass nicely. Lick it nice and clean. Nice and clean. Lick my ass. That's a greasy desire. Nicely buttered. Like the licking of roast meat. My daily activity. Three will lick more than two. Come on, just try it. And lick, lick, lick. Everybody, lick their ass for themselves. Shakespeare was allowed to say that kind of stuff. Why is that Mozart? Well, fun, um... Funny thing about that, when Margaret Thatcher saw Amadeus, she was so shocked that Mozart, that they'll portray this genius in such a crude and crass manner, she actually asked some people to do some research on Mozart for her, and they brought her the lyrics to this and some of his personal correspondence. She was just shocked and nearly fainted. He was also, he was a jovial guy. He would play pranks, but he was not, again, as over the top as he was in Amadeus. That was a lot of creative license they put with that. And we'll also get into Salieri while we're at it. Because Salieri and Mozart were not bitter rivals. Salieri was actually the music teacher Mozart hired to teach his children. And also, Salieri was not like this just bumbling, mediocre idiot. He actually had some successful music and was well-respected and was one of the court musicians of Joseph II. So he That was, does come up in the movie. Yeah. He also, he did not murder Mozart. I did. I knew it. And we'll talk about more about his finances. He was not a pauper. 
And we're talking about how he was buried in a common grave. Everybody who wasn't a member of nobility was married in a common grave. It just meant that he was buried for 10 years, then they dug him up to make space for someone else. Sorry, it sounds to me like you said married. It's like everybody who wasn't nobility was married in a common grave. Yes, we were all married. Well, we were married in a common grave. <laughs> like the Schroots, you, you get married in your own graves. <laughs> he was a bit of a prankster, too. That's like just weird stuff. Not even funny jokes, like old-timey jokes. I'm not even going to talk about them because I didn't write them down. <laughs> Mozart wrote a lot of music. He wrote about 626 works of music that we know about. Some people think that there's about 300 that have been lost, which how would they know? But we know we've lost a lot of the music Mozart has written. Well, we have a good idea of how many works from certain playwrights in the Greek times we've met, we've lost. and Yeah. So all in all, with he wrote 13 operas, 41 symphonies. So it's about 202 hours of music. That's eight and a half days of music that he wrote. But what about the music question that's a meme? What if they doubled the amount of musicians? It would go twice as fast, right? It would go twice as fast. <laughs> Which, uh, by the way, Bach, who lived 30 years longer, did not compose nearly as much music as Mozart. He only composed about 175 hours. And he cheated by writing in shorthand and having assistants finish it. And he wrote a bunch of variations on a simple theme. See, that's not cheating. That's just smart business. Yep. Mozart was always composing. Like... He could he could do arrangements in his head and do all this stuff out ahead of time because, you know, he was... I did look it up. Mozart, they're not sure if he was right or left-handed. I actually asked him this because we, we know the topic that the two yep. of us are doing, so I said, find out if Mozart was left or right-handed. So there is... Some people say, yeah, he was right-handed because everyone was taught to be right-handed at that time. Yeah, that's an interesting mm -hmm. thing in mind, too, is like, is that part of the forcible left-handedness and right-left-brainedness, and is that why the left brain is yep. possibly more dominant? And there's some people that claim they can tell by the way he wrote his music, he was clearly left-handed. Actually, no, there's something to that. Because if you're writing in ink, unless you are perfectly able to keep your hand off the page, mm -hmm. or the angle at which your pen hits the page. Yep. And there are other people that say that he was just ambidextrous because he was a genius, so therefore he had to be ambidextrous. All geniuses are ambidextrous. It's, yeah. I mean, look at me. I'm right-handed. So he was always composing, and... He, one time he was traveling and he did not have a keyboard available to him. So he basically just crashed someone's house to use their keyboard. That's awesome, actually. Yeah. You're just kind of like, no, I've got it. I have an emergency. Knock, knock, knock. It's like, excuse me. I need I to use your I, piano. It's like, I need to use your piano right now. Pause for a second. All right. Uh, we're back after that pause. We had to play HQ. It's very important. Yeah. So where was I? Where was I? Blah, 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 blah. Here we go. The Mozart effect. Now. We talked about this briefly when we were talking about like, you know, the Barnum effect. Mm -hmm. So the Mozart effect is from a uh, study published in 1993 in Nature magazine in which they had people listen to no music, upbeat music, which was specifically a Mozart piano sonata, and then just kind of like some sad, depressing music before they did a test, test testing spatial reasoning. Now, people who were listening to Mo the Mozart music scored higher on this and had higher skills on it for about 15 minutes afterwards. Naturally, when the non-scientific community read this, listening to Mozart increases your IQ and makes you a genius. It does. That's why I'm yep. always listening to Mozart. I actually have a chip implanted in my head. Fun fact, um, it's not Mozart. It's any upbeat music. So you could listen to like Old Town Road or Despacito, and it would have the exact same effect on your intelligence for about 15 minutes as listening to Mozart would. Are you saying that NSYNC is the reason I did so well in middle school? Yep, you wanted it that way. That's Backstreet but, Boys. 
Oh, whatever. They're the same thing. Oh, fight me. After school. <laughs> There's no part of this that claims it increases your IQ. There have been no studies that listening to Mozart increases your IQ. Any type of like reasoning that, oh yeah, listening to Mozart in utero makes your baby smarter. I've heard of baby Mozart, yeah. Yeah, it's it's not true. There is nothing supporting that. It's We have no reason to believe it. It's also nearly impossible to actually do a study on of whether or not listening to Mozart will make a baby smarter. That's actually a really good point. I mean, I don't think it hurts them to probably hear music no. in utero, mm -hmm. but you can't guarantee that two kids would otherwise be completely equal and do a study. And it's like, if you can't, like, separate twins, oh, that would be weird. It's <laughs> like, we deafened this twin in utero. <laughs> yeah, I was just thinking you go up there and you put tiny AirPods into one of their ears. <laughs> All right, the ears are formed. Let's get up in there with our tweezers. So there's, their response to that was, it's like, it's not going to hurt. I mean, it's music education. I guess that's great. The state of Georgia, though, the governor, did a big push to make sure that every child born in the state of Georgia would get a tape or CD of Mozart. And they budgeted $150,000 to give everybody a Mozart CD. And his response was like, even if it doesn't, they're getting Mozart. Okay, $150,000 divided by, when was this? Did it have a year? Uh, this was in the 90s. Let's put the average CD price at about, uh, let's say $10. 150000 divided by 10 is 15000 Mm-hmm. Are there only 15,000 kids born in Georgia in any given year? No, but I mean, they probably get a good deal. One representative thought this was a great idea, but thought it's like, why not just Mozart? Why can't we have Charlie Daniels, who was, I guess, a country music singer on there? And he was, uh, they told him no. And he says, well, I understand Mozart, but I guess it can't hurt. That, that's kind of why I'm, it can't hurt. I wouldn't spend government money on it, but it can't hurt. And also, I will be very clear about this. Listening to Mozart is not a cure for autism. What? There are some people that believe listening to Mozart cure for autism. Mozart and like the beginning of the Revolutionary War were at the same time. And they seem like two completely separate eras of history. See, and that's an interesting thing about the study of history, too. We separate out history into locations rather than time, which makes sense for the most part. Mm -hmm. But it wouldn't hurt to say, well, this was happening, this was the same as this, yeah. because that provides those real-life connections that we know people need in order to interpret information. What was it I recently heard? That we have only been alive for something like less than 10% of America's existence. Mm -hmm. And that's just, it blew my mind. So, are you ready for some questions? I am. Will the lyric... <laughs> no. I may quote... No. It will not be on the test? No. Nothing about licking my ass nicely? Well, that won't be on the test? Not at least until college. <laughs> that would be the best prof music professor. Will anything about the Mozart effect be on a test? Given what I just talked about, I'd say yes. Will the fact that uh, Salieri did not kill Mozart be on the test? I don't know if they'd say that specifically, but I think they'd say that Mozart died of some kind of illness. Yep. Will the fact that Mozart was not actually buried in a pauper's grave be on the test? Oh, probably not. Which, by the way, um, I when I was in Austria, I did get to see where they're pretty sure Mozart was buried. Oh, yeah. You mentioned that they dug him up after 10 years and put someone else there? Yeah. I mean, that's like common practice oh, for I get like that, these but did, they, did they burn the old bones afterwards? Yeah. Okay. Okay. So his remains are somewhere in that general vicinity. And also, I saw uh, Beethoven's grave. 
which is this gigantic fucking monument. So that was did Mozart and left brain, right brain. We got some like, you know, smart stuff happening. We need to, even though I did talk about looking butts. So what is something you learned today? That was like, first of all, the right, left brain, right brain thing is not so much a study as it is just an observation about brains that happened in the 40s with people who had a very specific procedure. It's not like a thing because it's just like, it's like, oh yeah, left brain, right brain. That's just something we know about brains. All right, Mozart, I actually knew a reasonable amount, believe it or not. Not just from seeing Amadeus. I think um, we watched Amadeus in school right after studying him in arguably the best history class I've ever taken. She was awesome. She was the one I've compared to Professor McGonagall before, yeah. and not just because she came across as 9,000 feet tall and intimidating. So with Mozart, I guess what I learned more than anything else is that it's kind of hard to tell exactly where he stood on the realm of sanity because there are the people who want to heroify him. There are movies like Amadeus that show him as just the childish prankster, but your research seems to show that he's probably somewhere in the middle. Yeah, it's so weird because we've gone to both extremes with him when he was actually somewhere in the middle. Although, if we're going to go for an extreme, I'm going to go with childish prankster. Oh, him. yeah. Simply... Because you can't be touring from the ages of 5 to 16 like that and come out completely well-socialized mm -hmm. or in an adult state of mind. I mean, he did propose to Marie Antoinette at age of 8, so it makes me kind of lean towards him being. That's so cute. I know! That is so cute. And like, I, I'm thinking about royalty today, and I kind of feel like most of them would not be hyper-offended by a child running up and doing that, although maybe by the age of 8 they would be. Just like sitting on her lap. That's like after he'd like performed a great concert. That's adorable. So like I mentioned, I do all of our edits and I think our longest episode before this has been an hour and five minutes before I edited it. And we're currently at an hour and 20. Mm -hmm. And like, I, I was like, let's go record. Cause I thought we'd be done before HQ. Oh, we were, but we were fools. And we didn't even win on HQ. Shh. They don't have to know that I did that out. We won lots of money on HQ. Yeah, we're more HQ millionaires. Uh, we listened to Mozart right before we played HQ, and it turned us into geniuses. Maybe we should try that for next time. Maybe. Okay, so after this, after we stop recording, we're going to take the left brain, right brain tests. Yeah. And I uh, will... So you listen to Mozart while you're doing it, and I will listen to Despacito. Okay, left brain, right brain doesn't have anything to do with intelligence. At none of the arguments anything No, we'll, we'll, we'll see what it does, though. We'll see what happens. We can't, well, we wouldn't have seen what it does, though. It's like this. We're not doing comparative analysis on this. Oh, come on. It'll be hilarious. Also, I feel like you would just run away because you're listening to Despacito. Yeah. It's, it, would, it, would, it would torture me. Since we're also going to talk about stuff, uh, next week we are doing a super spooktacular Halloween episode. I love Halloween. I also love Halloween. We're going to be talking about spooky things and ghostly things and things that happened on Halloween things in history. And we'll talk about our Halloween costumes. We're going to have a great Halloween costume. All right. And on that note, with the exception of the little addition I'm putting at the end, class, class dismissed. dismissed. All right. It's us again. As we said, we took a left brain, right brain test. Yep. I'm not going to say the name of the site, but it did say that the test was evaluated by psychologists and was yep. okayed. And it also said that we could not use this likely for HR purposes. Oh, no. So my says that I am now four points right brain, left, left brain, as opposed to the one point I was in college. 
But it also said that my two hemispheres are working more or less in perfect harmony, which means that I can understand the world better than most people. That's probably accurate. Uh, mine had me 17 points right-brained. So I am a spontaneous wild card who doesn't care about the details and is a loose cannon on the edge. Yeah, I can never predict what he's going to do. Wild card! It's like, I don't know that he's going to come home from work and then want me to not talk to him for a while. And mm -hmm. I don't know that he's not going to feel like mowing the lawn, but always will. And sometimes I come home and I just start painting beautiful landscapes. He actually is a really good painter. I'm a remarkable painter. See, he says it sarcastically, but I mean it in all sincerity. He actually is a really good painter. Yep. I, on the other hand, can't paint to save my life. But it's not like artistic-y painting. It's like the nerdiest type of painting you could possibly ever do. Because there's I got a desk full of little plastic people I'm painting. They're really good. And that's definitely an artistic kind of endeavor. Yeah, I'm an artistic guy. My brain says so. <laughs> this psychology test on the internet says so. And those can never be wrong. I mean, I'm clearly a Samantha. Also, fun fact, he did send me a Mozart piece to listen to during it. Yep. It was... Lick me in the ass. Yeah. And I had to turn it off because I could not read the test and listen to it at the same time. Apparently, I can't listen to music while working on something like that, even though I listen to music at work all the time. So I think that means I'm probably not very smart. Mozart effect clearly didn't work on this test. I mean, I can listen to NSYNC all day, every day when I'm at work, so... But tell me why. All right, so I'm going to go beat him up because he thinks <gasps> Backstreet Boys and NSYNC are the same thing. Just please tell me why. It ain't nothing but a heartache. My NSYNC people out there, I need you to come help me. They are not the same thing. Well, that was your extra credit for the day, I guess. Extra credit. Have a good week, everybody. We will see you next Tuesday see if you I'm next able Tuesday. to do this. Bye. Bye.